Last night as I was beginning the Sabbath, I pulled out a little book called Early Writings, and I read to my boys a vision of Jesus coming with a silver trumpet in one hand and a sickle in the other hand, and it began to describe how we were taken up to be with Jesus, and eventually we came back to this world, and it described all the beautiful things, the mountains that were covered not with volcanism and cinder and all of that, like Lassen, but covered with flowers. And the little ones, some of them had a, a red mark on their robe sig- signifying that they had been killed for the sake of the gospel. Some of these little children, they mounted up wings and flew up to the tops of these mountains, these, these hills covered with flowers. And when I got done reading this vision to my kids, I said, well, how does that make you feel? And Mitchell said it just makes him feel good to, to, to know. He's like, I wish I could have a vision like that. When we think of Adventist Heritage Month, we're not thinking of just some isolated piece of history, but an experience. And last week we were talking about a prophetic movement, how we are part of a, of a prophetic movement. Yes, we fit the timing. Yes, we fit the teachings that are described there in Revelation 14. We, we proclaim the Sabbath and link it with the gospel. Yes, we have this testimony of love that we can be a great people with a great capacity for love. But there is something more, and some of you mentioned it to me at the door. There's something more that my little boy's words encompassed. I wish I could have a vision like that. We're going to look at prophetic guidance here this morning. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. As we open it up now, guide us to see clearly that we as a people can have a vision. We as a people can be led by your prophetic guidance just as much and then some compared to what we've been led by you in the past. Send the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us to see prophetic guidance is something beneficial to our church and something that will lead us all the way home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we talked about White Cloud, Michigan, the Seventh-day Baptist Church, a church that has 50,000 members worldwide, a church that was there leading up to the 1800s, the message of the Advent. There they were proclaiming a Seventh-day message, Rachel Oaks, who brought it to the attention of some Adventists, and eventually we adopted it. We talked about them and how, why were the questions that I asked as I visited their church in Michigan, why am I a Seventh-day Adventist and not a Seventh-day Baptist? And I gave you three answers as far as to why I am a Seventh-day Adventist. They may not fit your experience totally, but they are from my heart. I believe we are a movement that fits a timing element described in prophecy, a timing element that shows the love of Jesus and how he isn't just letting the world wander through space and time. He has a plan of salvation where he has people he will lift up to proclaim a message at a certain time worldwide. And we found in 1844, God raised up a people But not only that, they had a particular teaching. And we looked at Revelation 14, how they would proclaim a message of Jesus at the end, a message that is truly good news, a message that can transform us, make us wonderful people of God, but also a message that portrays every week us resting in Him in that creation message of rest in the Sabbath. A message that also talks about in the teachings of our church, judgment hour has come. 
And so I saw, yes, the timing of the church, yes, the teaching of the church, and then I shared with you how I was baptized into this church because of the great capacity of love that I saw in this church. But another reason why I am still a Seventh-day Adventist and not part of some other group is because we have the testimony of Jesus. And I know I want to follow Ellen White's counsel and not bring her totally to the pulpit all the time to you. She does say to prove our points from the Bible. But we're talking in-house here. And I want to make sure that we're clear that as we look at Revelation chapter 12 and we look at our history, we see clearly that this movement has been led and helped by prophetic guidance. Guidance only from God. Guidance that we see at the beginning of the Bible with the prophets and people of old like in Noah's day all the way down through the Old Testament. There has been a prophetic message guiding God's people all the way down to the time of Jesus with John the Baptist, all the way beyond that to, Sto to Stephen and his stoning as the last prophet. Prophetic guidance has been there all along the way to lead us as a people. Not to make us somehow proud and stuck on ourselves, but in a sense to remind us of God's mercy. He loved us so much that he gave us all this prophetic guidance right here. He didn't have to give us all of that. Couldn't he have just, as one teenager who eventually became a college student, say, couldn't he just have shown us a movie and that would have been enough? No, we would find is this is an experience of through time that God has said, I love you, I love you, I care about you, please don't go that way, go this way. A prophetic guidance, that's the Bible itself. And then we find that, that I get to the end of time, in this passage right here, the dragon was wrong with the woman, went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of God of Jesus. They have the testimony of Jesus. These are God's people at the end. So I want to know what it means to have the testimony of Jesus. Yes, we are a prophetic movement, but we also have prophetic guidance. Years ago, I came across a lecture by Judd Lake, and they posted it onto the White Estate website. If you ever have questions regarding Ellen White or her writings, go to whiteestate.org whiteestate.org. You can go on there and find history. You can find all of her writings for free. You can find presentations. And as I looked through this presentation by Judd Lake, and I was putting together a, 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 a Bible study in my mind, it stood out to me that this is something I need to present to the church now. And so I'm going to share part of this with you. Part of it is you'll see some comments by Judd Lake throughout this. As I look at the Adventist church, and I look at the dark, from the dark ages on, I see prophetic guidance all the way through. We find different individuals have restored parts of emphasis in the Bible all the way down through we get to the Millerite movement who emphasized the second coming. And then we come down to God's end time people, and we find the commandments of God being emphasized. It's like point by point, almost like we've come out of the Exodus, we've come out of, of in essence, Egyptian bondage again as a people, through those dark ages, and he's point by point restored a truth that somehow was misplaced or forgotten. And in William Miller's day, 1844, we think of October 22 as being a day of disappointment. Some people call it disappointment, the great disappointment. Actually, October 22 was the day of great hope. You get to the next day, and that's when you have the weeping. That's, that's when people who watched for the day to begin, they wondered if Jesus at midnight and he didn't come at midnight and, and he didn't come later on as the sun began to rise he still didn't come that was a day of bitter disappointment but October 22 which is not too long from now 
is a day of great hope. So every October, the Seventh-day Adventist Church in North America says, let's try to find a way, pastors and leaders, to remember that we are a people of great hope, a people that have been led by prophetic guidance. And so what did God do after his people were disappointed? He sent prophetic guidance, the gifts into the church, to remind us, to call us back to the Bible. We are not a people that prove our beliefs based on Ellen White. We are a people that Ellen White was used to point us back to prove our beliefs based on the Bible. Every one of her visions, every one of her writings, if you look through them, even testimonies, volume one, we're reading it in Shingletown. As we're reading that, that volume, it's constantly pointing us back to the Bible. And so when you have great disappointment, where do you go to for hope? You find it right here. And she pointed us to the Bible. Others could have done it as well. Hazen, we have Foy and Foss, they could have done it. But Ellen White received more than 2,000 prophetic visions and dreams during her ministry. That's amazing. The voice of my little boy, I wish I could have a vision like that. Just have one of her visions. You would be somewhat saying, Lord, that is so great. I'm going to have more. I want to be up there in your heavenly atmosphere in some way. But she had 2,000 prophetic visions and dreams. And that's what the Bible says of Ephesians 4. Truly, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And this until we all come into unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Some believe that the gifts were ended at Pentecost or soon thereafter. But this is very clear. That is not the case. Until we reach the perfect unity that Jesus prayed for, which really the world doesn't reach that until the second coming, really. And even then you find the earth made new, I mean, you get the city coming down, the millennium, you still don't have perfect unity. You got this group that wants to take this city. So when do we really reach that? We reach it after the second coming. But notice he'll give some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. We like to emphasize some of these gifts, but notice the prophetic gift, it's there. Very clear. And until we reach unity, it will still be there. Would you say we're 100% unified? Is any church ever 100% unified? So the gift is still needed. The word of God is still needed. The love of Jesus being proclaimed to a group is still needed. Constant reminders of his love. So we believe that God gave the gift of prophecy to encourage God's people then, and I believe he still has available to us today to keep encouraging us today to believe and to lead us to the Bible itself. So as I read my Bible, it appears clear that not only do we fit a timing element, not only do we teach and we keep learning and teaching, relearning things in the Bible, we have good teaching but, and we have good testimony of love, capacity for love, but we also have the prophetic gift. We have the testimony of Jesus available to us. Are we using it? Are we appreciating it? Because the dragon himself notices the ones who do, pursues them, goes after them, makes war with the remnant who has the testimony. This is a commentary here. It occurs in the context, this text occurs in the context of the great controversy between Christ and Satan. 
It says, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast with him. God provides prophetic guidance. It's an important text to remember because there is such deception in our world. And it can even creep into our homes and into our churches and control a whole society if we're not careful. And so God knows that, not mercy. He says, I'm sending a prophetic gift to call you back to the Bible. So it carries the reader across the centuries. This is Judd Lake with prophetic imagery. The rest of this chapter, Revelation 12, describes Christ's first advent, the significance of his death, and his ascension to God's throne. It carries the reader across the centuries of Satan's crusade against the church to his final attack on the remnant, summarized in verse 17, which we just read. And so we find Revelation 12 describes a movement of people, a movement that is at war against Satan, and Satan himself tries to destroy it. And one of the weapons they have is the testimony of Jesus. And so this text gives us two characteristics. They keep the commandments, and they have the testimony. And I've looked at the commandment part before, so I won't focus on it here. But as far as having the testimony, I want to make sure I nail that one down. It has to do with this verse, which we looked at again, but it has to do with a seed and those who are the remnant of her seed, the church. This, some of this is review for you. The term remnant, or the ones left over in Revelation 12, refers to the end-time people of God. I think we could conclude that. But this idea of offspring or seed points us all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, which means God has always had a people going all the way down through time, and we are part of that people. We are not somehow exclusive from that people or somehow in a higher level than that people. We have a higher responsibility because we're at the end of time. But we are part of a continuing sequence of people, messengers of God, who are coming to this world. We're a movement that has started back there and goes all the way down to our time. And so it describes us keeping the commandments. We looked at that last week. And it clearly refers to the Decalogue of Exodus. I'm going to move on through some of this. But it says we have the testimony of Jesus. This is where Judd, Judd Lake comes in. He says the key issue is how we are to understand the word of in the text. The grammar of the original Greek allows for interpreting the expression in one of two ways. A testimony about Jesus, from Jesus, or by Jesus. Which one is it? I always loved syntax class because I could argue with the teacher in syntax class. I could sit there and say, that genitive there, here's what it means. And I'd give my whole list. And they'd say, hmm, that's interesting. And they'd mark my paper <laughs> because I argued with the teacher. But it's interesting in the Greek. It could go either one, any one of those ways, but it depends upon the context. So we have to look at the context. Revelation 12, 1 and Revelation 1, verse 2 and 9 and 12, 17, all those different chapters describe the testimony of Jesus. It's in balance with the Word of God. It never contradicts the Word of God. It in a way points to the Word of God. It has to do with the commandments of God. And so since the commandments of God come from Him, then the prophetic gift comes from Him too. The testimony comes from Him too. The testimony from Jesus. We find that in the Gospels, where each one of those stories, Jesus is telling the parables, 
They come from Jesus' own words to teach the church. You find it in his example, his, his miracles. It comes from Jesus to help the church and teach the church. And so we find this gift, all the gifts, come from Jesus as he pours out the Holy Spirit onto his church. And so it's a testimony, really, from Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12 says, God set some in the church, firstly apostles, second prophets, thirdly teachers, then works of power, then gifts of healing, helps governments, that's administration, and different kinds of languages. So God has placed in the church these gifts. And the Holy Spirit is poured out upon each one of us. And so where are these gifts really coming from? Jesus, who's up in heaven. He's the one who Stephen said, I saw, I see him sitting there at the right hand of the throne of God. He's the one at Pentecost where Peter said, he has sent this Holy Spirit down and this is what you see and hear today. So the testimony is from Jesus, which makes it clear that if we're going to reject it or say, you know, I don't want anything to do with that, then we have to ask ourselves, am I rejecting Jesus in some way? All right, FBI students, here's your slide. Revelation 22 adds to that. Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9. Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9. Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Prophecy must be important then. Must be important. One of the last messages you find to the first century church is, book, is, is Revelation itself, which is a prophetic book for that time and ours. Revelation 22, verse 8. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of of this book, worship God. Interesting text, isn't it? Revelation 22, 8 through 9, points out that this idea of the prophetic gift is linking itself to heaven. It's from heaven. Do our students have all that written down? Revelation 22? Okay. And so John links the two phrases, testimony of Jesus, spirit of prophecy, with the prophets and with a heavenly source, just like the angels themselves identified with the prophets. Why? Because they brought the message to the prophets. When Daniel couldn't understand it, here comes an angel. says, here, I'm coming to give you understanding. Daniel's about ready to faint, and an angel comes and gives him the interpretation. So you find heaven is intimately linked with this gift because it has to do with guiding his church, guiding his people. And so we read these two passages together, and here's a parallel. Revelation 19 says, I fell down at his feet to worship him. Now we just read this one over here, Revelation 22, 8 and 9. Compare it over here to Revelation 19. I fell down at his feet to worship him, whereas in Revelation 22, I fell down to worship him at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. That's the prophetic um, vision. But he said to me, you must not do that. But he said to me, you must not do that. <laughs> you find both of these. And then here in Revelation 19, 10, I am a fellow servant with you and your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. That's the phrase we're trying to nail down here in Revelation 12. Now you go to Revelation 19. What is the testimony of Jesus? Add it to Revelation 22. I am your fellow servant with you and your brethren, the prophets. You add those two together, and the testimony of Jesus is the prophetic gift. A spirit-led movement that even has the gift of prophecy. And what's the result? Worship God. 
For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And you go over here in Revelation 22, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. That's the ultimate result of what we call the spirit of prophecy. And we've seen it manifested in our church through Ellen White's ministry. But as we see through history, God is still extending mercy to us. Many prophets have come and gone. Some of them they accepted and some of them they did not. He can still reveal himself to us through this gift if we are willing, if we are willing to accept it. But if the things that happened in the Adventist church history happened here today, I would venture to say that some of us would categorize it as fanaticism. Imagine a meeting where some one of you launches off into a vision that is not just an hour long, but over three hours long. You're holding up this huge family Bible. You're a little lady, not an old lady, but a little lady at the time, and you're holding this thing up for hours. You're, you're, you're pointing to scriptures, and you're not even looking at it, and you're just reciting them. Imagine that happening here today. Imagine even just me standing up here, and all of a sudden just going and pointing to scriptures, and you, one of you comes up here, and you begin to see which scriptures I'm pointing to as I'm pointing to them, and they're exactly what it was being pointed to in the Bible. How would you receive that? Would we have a case of pneumophobia like we looked at during the book of Acts? Because if we do, we miss a huge blessing that Revelation describes time and time again of prophetic guidance. In Revelation 19.10, the brethren are those who have the testimony of Jesus. The brethren are called the prophets. And so we can conclude then, the testimony of Jesus is the specific manifestation of the prophetic gift. There will be prophets guiding God's church at the end of time. And I find the Seventh-day Adventist church has had a prophet guiding so far. If we could appreciate the light that's given, maybe he could send another. If we could appreciate the light that was given, maybe he could send another. Maybe my little boy's comment could come true. I wish I could have a vision like that. I'm going to comment now with Judd Lake. So Seventh-day Adventists are on solid biblical ground in saying that the second characteristic of the remnant in Revelation 12, 17, the testimony of Jesus is Jesus' own testimony to the church by means of the spirit of prophecy. This Christ-centered prophetic message comes only through those specifically called by God to the prophetic ministry and is not a spiritual gift that all believers exercise or necessarily have. In this way, God's people living in the closing days of earth's history can have an assurance of God's special care and guidance by the Holy Spirit's working through those called to the prophetic office, just as it was with God's people of old. We can have prophetic guidance amongst us today. And as I look down through, for instance, in Matthew, as I was looking this up for uh, our oneness series, it hit me that not only did they have prophetic guidance in Jesus' day, but Jesus himself said, Elijah shall come. There will still be prophetic guidance at the end. It's going to happen again. And so as Adventists, we believe the 70-year ministry of Ellen White was a manifestation, but I believe we will continue to have it. So I have three implications as I look at this. To have it means if we truly believe that those little books used to be red covers. If those little books have been sent by God to us in mercy, then we need to be good stewards of those books. We need to be able to read them, 
and apply them to our lives today, especially as they pertain to the church. There are principles, yes, that can apply from her time all the way down to ours. And yes, there are prescriptions that were for a specific time. You can reject those if you want, but you cannot reject the principle that is being conveyed to you today. It's from God. And so to be a good steward means we read and interpret them responsibly. She herself said, take the testimonies the Lord has given and apply them as they, su- they suppose they should be applied. Some people do that. They pick out a sentence here and there, taking it from its proper connection or context and applying it according to their idea. Thus poor souls become bewildered. When could, they, when could they have read in order all that has been given, they would see the true application. We're not talking about that. That's not a good steward. That's picking and choosing. That's like taking a little phrase out of the Bible and putting it over here and putting it all together. What I mean by a good steward is someone who reads it within its context, understands what's going on, and then takes the principle, even if you can't apply the hoops counsel to yourself, the hoops dresses, you could at least apply the principle of modesty to your situation. And would not become confused. Much that purports to be a message from Sister White serves the purpose of misrepresenting Sister White, making her testify in favor of things that are not in accordance with her mind or judgment. She herself said that years ago. We have to be good stewards, which means when I take a Bible text, I do word studies, I do historical background, I look and see what the original audience might have been, I I figure all that out, and then I put it together into a sermon, and you get it up on the screen or in your Bible. Why don't we do the same thing with her writings? Why don't we figure out what she's really saying before we start especially taking the label and putting it on other people? So have you, you have the testimony of Jesus. Are you a good steward of these writings by honoring the original context which they were written, by taking the principle and applying it to your life? To your life. A mirror doesn't have two faces. It has your face. Not somebody else's face. Your face or my face. Number two, to have the testimony is to obey the prophetic voice. If it's pointing something out to me and I'm saying, Lord, as I'm reading through this, and I don't, I'm not saying I, you should read chapters every day for your devotions instead of the Bible. You should read your Bible and then you should supplement your Bible with what's going on in our church history, what's happened with these visions and all of that. To have the testimony of Jesus is to obey it. it means being loyal to it. And as you look at her own writing, she says, you have thereby insulted the Spirit of God. They would, they would not want to obey it. They would try to explain it away. You know how the Lord has manifested himself through the spirit of prophecy. Past, present, and future have been pressed, passed before me. I have been shown faces that I had never seen, and years afterward I knew them when I saw them. I have been aroused from deep sleep with a vivid sense of subjects previously presented to my mind. And I have written at midnight letters that have gone across the continent and arriving at a crisis, have saved great disaster to the cause of God. This has been my work for many years. A power has impelled me to reprove and rebuke wrongs that I have not thought of. Is this work of the last 36 years from above or from beneath? There she was. She would send out these letters of love to people. She would rebuke whole churches like Battle Creek, and she'd say, do you think I really like doing this? Do you think it really feels comfortable to write a letter like that, to tell a whole church, you're going the wrong direction? Do you think I just want to stay up late at night writing letters? No, this was impelled to me by the Holy Spirit. And there was visions that I never even didn't remember even at the time, but they were played out right in front of my face, like the purchase of Loma Linda property. 
property. That's, that's a whole other beautiful vision that we have that. And as this has come from God then, and God has compelled her, impelled her, guided her to write these things, do we then just cast them aside and not obey them? To have the testimony of Jesus, number three, is to experience the power of the prophetic message. One of her most remarkable statements about the Bible reads this way, the Bible is God's voice speaking to us just as surely as though we could hear it with our ears. If we, could real, if we realize this, with what awe we would open God's word, with what earnestness would we search its precepts, the reading and contemplation of the scriptures would be regarded as an audience with the infinite one. You know, that's why I started with the Bible first in this whole presentation. I wanted you to see from the scriptures that we can have the testimony. We can literally appreciate what God has given to us because he's never changed. He's guided prophetically all the way down through time. And Ellen White is just an extension of that same gift that's been present through God's people. And when I read something like this, how I could have an audience with the infinite one, how I could not only pray to him, but I could literally open this up and have a reply without email, without the texting, with all of that. <laughs> and not only that, God could be in the same room with me. What does that do to you? I mean, you'll never have that opportunity with any of these monarchs or rulers of this world. At least if you do, it'll be for some other reason probably. But this is the infinite one. That makes me value the word of God even more go to the Word of God even more, be thankful for the Word of God even more. That's what the prophetic gift is supposed to do. One of her uh, many encouraging statements, and I love the Desire of Ages. Some of you have this older copy on your, on your shelf. I saw it in the library, one of the libraries, either Shingletown or here or somewhere before. This book, she says, through all of our trials, we have a never-failing helper. He does not leave us alone to struggle with temptation, to battle with evil, and finally be crushed with burdens and sorrow. You never fight a battle alone. Isn't that encouraging? You can have a whole armor of God on and feel like you have been battle-hardened through trials of life, but deep down inside when the foe comes right at you, don't you just long to have someone at your rear guard? David and his mighty men, they could fight back to back. They could, they could hold off armies. Imagine fighting back to back with the God of the universe. Imagine someone who's there helping you through the struggles of life. That's what she's saying. You never face the sorrow alone. You never face the burdens alone. Though now he is hidden from mortal sight, the ear of faith can hear his voice saying, Fear not, I am with you. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Beautiful book. I have endured your sorrows, experienced your struggles, encountered your temptations. I know your tears. I also have wept. The griefs that lie too deep to be breathed into any human ear I know. Think not that you are desolate and forsaken, though your pain touch no responsive cord in any heart on earth. Look unto me and live. These are just samples of encouragement. How could you say that somehow we don't need this type of encouragement in our day? It just merely echoes the Bible. There's no harm in reading these books. These books can point you to the Bible in a way Maybe you hadn't thought about before. And so to have the testimony 
is to experience the power of the prophetic message. It makes you feel connected to heaven in some way. Not that it replaces the Bible. Don't ever say I say that. But it points you to the Bible. So you have the testimony. Are you experiencing its power? Interesting story. Ella was the oldest granddaughter of Ellen White. At one point during an interview with James R. Nix in 1967, Mrs. Robinson recalled an experience of hearing her grandmother preach. I see grandma standing in the pulpit, dressed in her loose-fitting black sack suit, narrow cuffs of white, narrow white collar secured at the throat by a small brooch. She's been telling of the matchless love of Christ in suffering, ignominy, and death, and even running the risk of eternal separation from his Father in heaven by taking upon himself the sins of the world. She pauses in the midst of that, looks up, with one hand resting on the desk, Another lifted heavenward, she exclaims in a ringing voice, Oh Jesus, how I love you, how I love you, how I love you. There's a deep hush. Heaven is very near. That's how it happened on a regular basis. It wasn't, here's all the to-do lists for you to figure out how to add it to the other to-do lists that you already have. Her main ministry was pointing people to Jesus Christ. And so how can I turn that aside? You have the testimony of Jesus it reveals Jesus to me and to you. And if we would take and listen to it, read it, enjoy it, could we say the same thing? Oh, how I love Jesus, how I love you, how I love you. You've led me through so much so far. You've led the church through so much so far. Thank you for leading me, how I love you. And so our logo points us to the same direction. We have those flames that go up and around the world, circling the globe, that's God through the Holy Spirit guiding a prophetic movement through a prophetic message around this world. Those flames are the three angels' messages going to the world. That Bible down there, that's the foundation of our faith. You never find in our fundamental beliefs that we're saying Ellen White is the foundation of our beliefs. That is not the case. The Bible is the foundation of our beliefs. But he will use the prophetic gift to point us back to that Bible. And so we have an open Bible. And that cross there, just like Ellen White's speech that she talked about, oh, Jesus, how I love you, how I love you, that should be central to our church. We should have the cross as central, built upon the foundation of the Word of God. And that message circles the globe. And people can't help but want to be with Jesus that you've been with. So yes, the Seventh-day Baptists are worldwide, 50,000 strong. They love Jesus, and I'm not saying anything about them. I'm just saying I'm looking for a movement that doesn't reject the spirit of prophecy, that accepts it, honors it, has it, and takes the message of love to the world. And yes, we have one per 30 seconds joining the church. That's amazing growth. Yes, it's slowed down in America, but yet around the world, it's still going forward fast. Amazing movement. Prophetic guidance has helped us all the way until now. And I believe it's going to help us until that hope that we have is right before our eyes. And that day will come when that little vi that vision that my boy and I were reading last night won't be in a book. It'll be right there, played out before us in some wonderful reality that the books can never contain. We have a hope, and that hope is going to become a reality soon. Let us hold fast to this hope. Let us proclaim it to the world, and let us, let us not reject the gift of prophecy. Our closing song is to that effect. It was chosen for a general conference session years ago. It's got two verses to it, so I invite you to join me with the verses on the screen. Your hymn only has one verse. It's number 214. 
we have this hope. If you'd like to stand, feel free. thankful for the prophetic gift. Not only do we have a church here that's part of a worldwide movement that fits the timing of Daniel 8 and 9 and other texts, that has a testimony that they love God, but they also have the testimony of Jesus amongst us. Thank you, Lord, that we have this. Help us to appreciate it, be good stewards of it, and experience it in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.